Hi, this is Ed Black, and I want to welcome everybody to another edition of the Ropes and Gray Tech Studio. This is the podcast where we hear about all of our people involved in the tech industry and what they're up to. Today's edition, I'm here with my friend and my partner, Regina Penty, uh, one of our superstars, particularly in the core tech uh, hardware space uh, and in anything involving a patent strategy. We'll get to some of the substance in a second, but I want to kick off by just making sure uh, people hear about sort of uh, who, who you are. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, how, how long have you been at it? Uh, where are you from? Where you live? Things like that. Thanks, Ed, for having me. It's great to be on the show. So as Ed noted, I'm in the IT transactions practice. Uh, I've been at Ropes and Gray now for 17 years. And the thing that drew me to law is really the technology aspects um, of the practice of intellectual property and technology law. Uh, I am originally trained as a computer scientist and electrical engineer, and so that's the thing that drew me to law. My practice at Ropes focuses on technology and data-driven transactions, tech licensing and collaborations. Um, my practice spans uh, both the US and the UK. Uh, I am qualified as a solicitor in England, and so I my practice focuses on global issues affecting tech companies that have international interests. Uh, all right. Now, also, Regina, you are, in fact, a, a global person, right? Now, you're originally from Ghana. Uh, and, That's right. So, and, and, you, and I know you came over to go to that obscure little educational institution across the river. What was it called? Uh, uh, <laughs> that's right. So I was born and raised in Ghana, and I came to the U.S. Uh, to attend college. I went to MIT, uh, where I got right. my bachelor's and master's in electrical engineering and computer science. Then you mentioned, you know, you were here for 17 years. Now, I know that uh, a number of those years you started out, you were in our tech advisor program. Is that right? That's right. Um, so when I started out, I was in Ropes and Grace Technical Advisor Program, which is this really amazing program that basically takes people with technical engineering or science backgrounds and basically helps them get through legal training while at the same time working at the firm, getting real life experience uh, on uh, helping with IP and patent related uh, issues. Being a technical advisor was really helpful in helping me navigate and understand what it's like to be a lawyer, and it's that experience that led to my going to law school, which I did at Harvard while still working at Ropes and Gray. It is a great program, uh, but candidly, we were lucky to find you. Uh, so, so thank you for coming to the program. Of course, the tech advisor thing, ages ago, you've been through the ranks. You're now an accomplished partner at the firm. In general. Um, what kinds of problems, uh, you know, cross your desk? Sure. Um, so my clients are generally technology companies and their investors, and they are often looking at uh, companies where a significant portion of the value of the company is in technology and intangible assets. And so the kinds of problems that cross my desk uh, really are about helping um, both the companies and their uh, investors maximize that value, both in being able to exploit the technology and being able to really have it uh, uh, contribute to the baseline as far as valuation of the company and, frankly, in driving the objectives of the company. You work for companies that are building off of tech, and they need that tech to drive as much value as possible. And in general, that's easy to understand. But can you give me an example 
of some very specific problem or some very specific issue, just to get a flavor of, of, of how this works on a kind of a day-to-day -day basis. Sure. Um, so I'll give you a couple of examples. Um, in, in one of them is I have a lot of clients who are in the fintech space. And one of the things that's really interesting about the fintech space, in addition, you know, has seen a really explosive growth in the last few years, is that a lot of the assets in that space tend to be things like software, data, the kinds of assets that have traditionally been very difficult to evaluate and assess, mostly because they are not, you know, registered IP, they don't have the same structural organization or the backing of statutory and other regulations that help sort of put structure on how these things are traded or how they are uh, uh, held. One specific example is uh, I worked on a transaction for a financial services company that was acquiring a fintech target, where again a significant value of the target was really in its technology platform. This was in a scenario where those assets had been, in some cases, you know, licensed to others in the field uh, who were potentially competitors of this new acquirer, and so we had to try to evaluate the assets in a setting where you know one of the users or persons entities with access to the technology would be a potential competitor so you're going you're looking at buying this company you find out that your hated enemy has a license what, what do you just walk away or or do you find a way around that you find a way around it because one of the important things to keep in mind for any deal is what is driving the deal what are the key drivers of the deal and in this case it turned out my clients intended use or at least their post Closing plans for that technology did not conflict with what this potential competitor was doing with it. And so there was a way to find a path for coexistence. One of the key issues that we had to manage in this instance is the ability to separate competitively sensitive information so that mm. obviously our client was not getting access to their potential competitor sensitive information and vice versa. And that, mm. you know, is where kind of the IP practice meets the technology practice and you come up with things like IT solutions and isolated uh, uh, production environments uh, that can really help so solve that sort of thing. So th that's the kind of thing that we did to help a client in this case. Suddenly, I can now understand why the degree from MIT goes well with the degree from Harvard, because <laughs> you're putting up legal walls and technical firewalls That's in order to get the deal done. You mentioned data a couple times, and I'd like to drive, drive down a little on that one. One of the things we've seen lately is this explosive expansion in the market for data. And is any of that crossing your desk? Do you have experience with with clients who are building or participating in or otherwise engaged with these data markets? Absolutely. So I have been advising clients on the use of alternative data and other disparate sources of data in highly regulated industries for the last 10 years or so. One of the challenges with alternative data is, is that you know the use of the data, again, as you noted, grew explosively in a way that the law had trouble sort of catching up and it's still not caught up. And so companies that are operating and using and exploiting alternative data are often operating in what we might call potential gray areas or areas where it's difficult to assess the risk of what's permissible and what isn't permissible. One example is um, I have a client in the financial services sector that wanted to set up what, you know, just informally we might call the eBay of, you know, alternative data. It's a marketplace of data. And what the client wanted to do was to be able to allow third parties to come onto the platform and sell data to the clients, you know, subscribers and others that come onto the platform. Now, the challenge here was 
you know, anytime you become a conduit for the transfer of data, there's a potential risk that you may take on responsibilities and potentially, you know, be seen as vouching for the source of the data. And so we had to navigate this tricky balance between doing enough to make sure that, you know, the data sources that are coming in are adequately vetted without taking on the risk of sort of guaranteeing and really having the regulatory risk exposure for being the conduit for that data. And did, and did this happen? Did the marketplace go up? The marketplace did go up. And, uh, what we, you know, we helped the client particularly set up the vendor qualification process, uh, set up contracting with both sides, both on the data acquirer side and the data applier side. We helped them uh, set up compliance structures and questionnaires that, you know, the different vendors could complete and then a process for vetting the data and before they went on their platform. And, yes, it's gone up and it's doing very well. Wow. All right. Well, one more, one more question on and sort of the what's on your desk, and I'm going to shift gears a little bit. But, sure. but look, I know that when you started, you were in the Ropes and Gray Technical Advisor Program, very patent focused. That, that program is, and um, uh, and yet, I hear what's on your desk now. I participate in our tech practice. I agree with you. AI, data, software analytics. These are all things that are very much at the bleeding edge and often are involved are not patented. Where do you see the world of of patents? Is it is it sort of over? Do you have to be a semiconductor company? Do you have to be doing hardware to care about patents? How do you how do you see patents patent strategy these days? Uh, no, Ed, uh, thank you so much for for bringing that up. So patents are very much uh, an important part of my practice, and in fact, something that I enjoy doing very much. Now, one of the things that's happened with patents in you know recent years in the U.S. and elsewhere is yeah. that the rules, particularly around patenting of AI and software-related innovations, have gotten quite complex. Now, this has happened at the same time that we've seen an explosion of this kind of technology. Uh, so, in the U.S., we've seen you know what's called the AIA, the American Invent Act, which introduced things like PTAP challenges, different ways to challenge patents, particularly those that are software-based. We've also seen uh, what's called patent subject matter eligibility, where certain types of patents, including software patents, uh, you know, put, have a risk of being deemed too abstract to be eligible. So in light of all of these initiatives, are patents just not as valuable as they used to be? Or are there, are there ways to pursue valuable patent strategies in this environment where patents are a little bit under siege? Yes, so patents are still valuable, and they, you know, in a, in my view, they remain the gold standard of IP protection. Um, the key to getting useful patents, particularly in the AI and software space, is to give really careful thought to the thing that actually produces a real-life useful useful technical result in the real world, because that's what you know the patent office and others are focused on, as far as those patents are concerned. And oftentimes, that's also the most useful part of the invention. What I'm helping you know my clients do is really tie those key aspects of their technology to you know their sort of competitive advantage to make sure that when they do get the patent, they're protecting something that protects their bottom line. Superb. All right. I've got to change gears here because we're running out of time. Going to ask some quick questions. So, all right. Favorite movie? My Cousin Vinny. And in My Cousin Vinny, who's your favorite character? Is it Vinny or is it uh, the least Tomei uh, girlfriend character? Tomei. It's Marissa Tomei. Favorite music? So hands down, Afrobeats. Um, so I don't know that many people in the U.S. actually listen to Afrobeats, though it's very much on the rise. 
So this is a high energy fusion of African music and hip hop. And Afrobeats, is that because you grew up in, in Ghana? Was that was that the music of your childhood or is that something you discovered? Well, the music the of my childhood was actually High Life, which is from which Afro Afrobeats is derived. Ah, okay. All right. This is the key personality test. This reveals yeah. your true nature. In a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, what is more important, the peanut butter or the jelly? See, you're asking somebody who actually doesn't eat either of those. Um, I would say the bread, because <laughs> it holds it all together. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> With, without the bread, there's no sandwich. There's that, no sandwich. <laughs> it is literally true that you can say that other stuff is just filler. <laughs> okay. Well, but you're... But Regina, you have twins, right? Two, two young. I do have two, twins. Yes. And uh, yes, I have and two those, twin boys. Yes, six. Do they eat peanut butter and jelly sandwiches? Technically, they do. Usually, what happens is one wants the peanut butter and jelly sandwich without the jelly, and the other wants it without the peanut. But they <laughs> each want it with the bread. So. <laughs> <laughs> Once again, the bread is key. All right. It has been such a pleasure talking to you. Thank you for joining us for uh, this edition of the Tech Studio. For our audience, uh, we also thank you for joining us. Uh, the Tech Studio podcast is, of course, a Ropes and Gray production, and it is available both on the Ropes and Gray website and everywhere else that podcasts are made available.